Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, this, this is a good one. This is a, this is a huge one. This is someone who crosses over the two worlds that I love the most, well, two of the worlds I love the most, wrestling and punk, Brody King of the band God's Hate, and also of, I don't know, indie wrestling fame right now. He's really blown up in that world. One moment until we talk about all that. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can send an email to turnoutapunk at gmail.com. You can find me on various forms of social media at Lefford Damien. If you would like to support this show, the best way of doing that is by heading over to iTunes and subscribing to this podcast, writing a review for it, and uh, rating it, giving it a nice high rating. Um, and that would be a really nice thing to do. And while you're there, you'll see that we have a bunch of other podcasts in the Turned Out of Punk family. There is, of course, Oil and Flowers, hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself, and that is a podcast entirely about cannabis. So if you don't like cannabis, don't listen to that. Uh, but, you know, you might want to listen to that because uh, now's a good time to invest in cannabis. So, you know, even if you don't like cannabis, you could still wind up uh, loving it in the near future. So anyway, listen to Oil and Flowers. And if you are also on there, you will see another podcast that we do around here. Turned out of punk footnotes hosted by myself and Chris O'Toole. That show is back with a vengeance. We've got a great episode from last week where Chris came over to my house and we recorded one in person, and then we're going to have one this week for this show. we got a lot to get into from this show, and yeah. So anyway, go to iTunes, see all that. If you uh, do not use iTunes, the best way to support this show is by telling all your friends. Tell everyone you know. Speaking of supporting the show, thank you very much to the fine folks at Vans. Vans uh, Shoes has come on board and supported the show, and which is great because I don't have to go out of pocket anymore to keep this thing afloat. And they keep inviting me out to these cool events like the House of Ants. I noticed that they have one coming up in Denver, Colorado with Dinosaur Jr. and Thurston Moore DJing. I haven't been invited yet, but just saying, if, if you want to invite me, I'm very excited to go to Denver, Colorado, Dinosaur Jr., Cannabis. You know, it's like a, a match made in heaven. Not that those dudes smoke because they, they don't, but... I do. Anyway, uh, thank you very much to Vance. If you use Facebook and you would like to find the show on Facebook, there's a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, and he has been killing it lately with guest bookings. And so uh, if you want to write him a note and say thank you, you can find him on Facebook. If you don't use Facebook and you still want to see stuff that gets sent into the show, you can find that over there on Tumblr.com, or no, turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com. And uh, yeah. And that, that, that's about it. Um, I guess on to today's show. Today on the show, it's a person that I got to spend a lot of time with uh, this past year. Well, maybe not a lot of time, but I definitely spent some time. Got to know, at least. And that is Brody King. Now, Brody is someone who, if you're a wrestling fan, you may know him as a guy that's, you know, six foot seven and able to move like he's a luchador. Um, that is burning up the indie world right now. He's, you know, just had a huge show at MLW. As you hear about on this podcast, we were looking forward to it with anticipation where he wrestled MVP 
one of this uh, one of Turnout of Punk's favorite guests of all time, one of my favorite people of all time. And so, yeah, that was kind of a dream match, but he's someone who just had a great match there, had an amazing match at Defy. He's been all over the place and someone who will be continuing to be all over the place as I'm sure he's got a bright future ahead of him. But if you don't like wrestling, maybe you know Brody as the lead singer of the hardcore band God's Hate. God's Hate is, of course, an incredibly popular hardcore band that is beloved by many, many a hardcore kid. Uh, I don't know how many of them, though, are aware that Brody is also beloved in the wrestling world as well. So it was great to finally get a chance to sit down and talk to him for this podcast about those worlds and how those worlds interact with each other and, you know, Things that I love to talk about on this show. Uh, but don't worry, if you don't like wrestling, we talk about plenty of other stuff, too. Uh, we do get one thing kind of confused, and that is the release date of Satisfaction is the Death of Desire, the debut LP by Hatebreed. That was released in 1997, the end of 1997, so almost 1998. But I don't know where our heads were at with our random release dates we were throwing out there. But that is when it did come out. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Um this is a monster episode. This is a long one, a good one. I love doing it, as you will hear on this show. And, uh, okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy Brody King on Turned Out a Punk. All right, Brody, thank you so much uh, for the hundredth time now, as I said off air, for doing this show. And uh, there's a lot to get to. There's a lot of intersecting worlds that I want to talk to you about. And you're like one of those rare people that when I first meet, I know can go real deep about this hardcore music and punk music that we both love so much. So thanks again for the one millionth and one time now for doing the show. No, no problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, I want to start them off the way I start them all off, which is, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? I do actually. Uh, I was I was thinking about this as you were asking me to do the podcast. Um, when I was probably eleven or twelve, um, I would hang out with this kid Brandon that lived in my neighborhood, and he was probably fifteen or sixteen. I think he was like just out of junior high or like going into high school. But we would we would just like skate around the neighborhood. And uh, I grew up in like a suburb, like 40 miles, 50 miles outside of L.A. called Palmdale, Lancaster. It's a real shithole desert town. But yeah, we would just uh, skate around the neighborhood and he would always play the uh, Epitaph uh, Punkorama compilations. Yep. Oh, yes. Very familiar and with those. So I like... I didn't know who any of the bands were. I just loved the way that the music sounded, and, and I always correlated it with with skateboarding because that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And so that's like kind of the the first exposure I had to it. And I remember <clears throat> telling my parents that I wanted to go buy some music. At this point, I probably I didn't listen to like anything of substance. Like I had some like Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> records and like I don't know random other stuff. I listened to, like ACDC. But uh, they took me to Warehouse Music, and um, I remember telling the one of the people that worked there that I wanted skateboard music, and they're like, uh, "Okay, like I don't really know what that is," <laughs> and I was like, "Well, yeah, neither do I, but that's what I want." And I remember over the loudspeaker, I liked 
I liked the music that was playing over the loudspeaker. And I was like, I want this CD. And they used to have like a, I don't know if you remember that, like back in the day, they used to have big, like the hundred dish changers of like whatever CD they were playing in the, in the store. Yeah. And like the guy like goes and he like sees what's playing and it was a bad religion, stranger than fiction. Okay. And that was my first like record that I ever bought. And so, that kind of like opened the door to everything. So were your parents like into music and stuff like at all or no? Um, kind of like my dad was like, he was into like black Sabbath and the doors and like ACDC, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, seventies rock and stuff like that. But, and they listened to like, you know, Nirvana, like probably like popular, popular alternative music. So it's yeah. like, I kind of always had that, like, it wasn't like Kenny G or, or any like weird, <laughs> like soft music. Like my parents have never been that kind, but they've always like my mom now this is like disturbed or something. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so w- that was like, I grew up like liking more aggressive music, I guess. And then punk was like the first thing that like latched onto me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Where'd you kind of so, go from there? Like, you know, obviously now you've got this bad religion CD. Uh, I get like, what, what year was this uh, uh, around? Uh, I was, 11 or 12, so that was probably uh, 98 or 99. Okay. Yeah, so, like, were you, like, at all taken by that kind of Green Day stuff, or is it just, like, more that, you know, epifat kind of Southern California sound? Uh, yeah, like, I had, once I had gotten the Bad Religion CD, I, I started entering into junior high, like, <laughs> it seemed like I kind of uh, linked up with kids that, that listened to similar music, but like I never liked green day at all. Like I hated dookie. I hated all that whole thing. I just didn't like how like f- fun it sounded. I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's a, but like, I always just liked the, the lyrics of, of bad religion. And then I started mm-hmm. listening to bands like rancid and Pennywise and AFI and stuff like that. And uh, that was like, my whole thing, like no effects. And, uh, then I would start listening to bands like circle jerks and dead Kennedys and black flag and being in like six, six and seventh grade is when I really got like heavily into music. And that's when I started buying a lot of t-shirts and, uh, I, I forgot what the website was called. I think it was, I think it was called like angry young and poor.com. Yeah. I think I remember that website. Absolutely. And it had, it had just like, every punk t-shirt and patch and record you could ever want on it. So it's like whenever I would get any money, I would always order like a new Pennywise t-shirt or a new bad religion t-shirt. And my parents would would like try to like get me to not buy bad religion t-shirts because it had the giant crossed out cross on it. And not that they cared because like my parents are not religious by any means, but they just were like, well, we don't want your teachers to like get a bad impression of you. Yeah, there's, I guess there's that just like pervasive, like, it's funny because like I just went, you know, traveling around for this show that I'm working on, you know, you get to see all these religious cultural practices from all over the world and you're like, oh yeah, back home, I guess it's just that Christianity stuff that's just super ingrained in, like, even if you're not religious, like the idea of seeing that cross crossed out. It's just it's somehow, so offensive. It's so offensive. It's just like, uh, yeah, like be, being raised here in, in the West. It's like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. That's yeah. awesome. 
So yeah, when I was in like when I was in junior high, it was it was really weird because that's when like Limp Biscuit and like Corn and New Metal really started getting big, mm-hmm. and I liked that music too. Like I liked Limp Biscuit and I liked Corn, and then but like when I heard Slipknot for the first time, that was like this is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then uh, I remember the music video for the song uh, Surfacing, where like everyone in the crowd is just like flipping off the band i was like what is going on here <laughs> so like i was the kid that listened to new metal but i also listened to punk so i kind of like hung out with like the weird like new metal goth kids and then also like the punk kids but like we were kind of all the same because we lived in a small little desert town that you know no there like that genre was so small to begin with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well like when spencer from trash talk was on he's from bakersfield and you know like he was talking about how corn in bakersfield it's not even like a new metal band like that's just like the band the, the band yeah they're like well so like bakersfield is like an hour away from where oh, i grew okay. up so kind of the same sort of thing i would imagine that it, exactly yeah and uh so yeah it was like you either listen to I don't know. I don't even know what you like. I guess rap music, yeah. or you, or Metallica, or mm-hmm. then you listen to Slipknot and or punk music. I don't know. It was really weird. There was a big. I guess there was a big punk scene like out where I grew up because I remember being like thirteen or fourteen. I was still in junior high, probably like seventh grade, and me and my friend went and saw Guttermouth, yes. and we saw <laughs> uh, the Casualties. Oh man, that sounds like an insane show off the jump. Yeah, well, it was two different shows. Okay, both okay. Of them, both of them were insane. Yeah. Uh, well, Guttermouth is like I, I like I remember just seeing footage of them back then playing in kind of Southern California area, and it just being like, holy shit! There's like thousands of people in that circle pit. Yeah, it was crazy, and, and it's like you know back then that was like. Guttermouth is the coolest band, and you listen to back to it now. You're like, Jesus, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> it's so like, I don't know. The lyrics are stupid, and like, it's like hate your parents kind of. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. It's weird, and it's also like you think about those dudes, and you're like, oh, they were like in their mid 30s. Yeah, like, talking about like hating their mom. <laughs> yeah, writing that <laughs> stuff. It's uh, they also ripped off a band from Toronto for one of their songs, and so. There is no love lost between myself and, and Guttermouth from back then, even That's, though yeah. they were massive. <laughs> There's undeniable. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I guess like where you're from, like that kind of punk was almost like for a moment, like like metal in high schools. Like it was just so, it seems like it was so popular. I mean, it, it was, but it wasn't because like it was popular with, with the punk kids like because where i grew up it it was a small town but it's super spread out yeah so there's like there's like six different schools so like in each school you might have like five kids that listen to that music (laughs) yeah but like if you go to a show that was there it was like you know 500 kids like every person in the town that listened to that music was at that show yeah yeah and uh so it it was it was definitely interesting because it's like i feel like in the it in the desert town I grew up, there's, there's a lot of like racist people too. So there would be like guys with Confederate flag belt buckles and like shaved heads. And they'd have like 
Pantera shirts and Slayer shirts. And that immediately like turned me off. Like I was like, I don't want anything to do with those dudes. So I don't even want to listen to music that they listen to. Mm-hmm. So I remember up until I was like out of high school, I would always say that I hated Pantera and I hated Slayer because and I had never even heard them before because I just refused to listen to what they were listening to. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I think drove me more into the, the punk and, and hardcore scene. Mm-hmm. I get that. Like I, uh, I felt kind of the same way to the sex pistols early on too, where now I like, I'm a huge fan, but at first I remember as like a little kid seeing it and being like, Oh, they've got swastikas on. I don't want to be into this band. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So it was very similar situation. Yeah. And, uh, like, so I guess like, were there local bands kind of happening at the same time? Like I'm trying to think of who was kind of like local to the scene other than corn. Uh, I mean, there was, there was like these weird local new metal bands that would try to be like Mudvayne or like Slipknot and they weren't very good, but like <laughs> there was a bunch of like local punk bands, um, trying to think of names. I, I remember one of their, one of the bands name was called the Filthy McNasties. Okay. And, uh, that, I and, think that's uh, a name that probably there's been like a ska punk band or a punk band. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. In, in every city. Like, so there was like, but they were like the big local bands so you would just yeah. go see them and uh yeah do, do you know um prison mark he he tours with marilyn manson now but yeah. he's like ready for every time i die and a bunch of other people mm-hmm. but he used to be in a band called blood stand still and they were like one of the first hardcore bands i saw going to local shows out in in he's he's from the same town as me mm-hmm. and he was like when i was i probably met him when i was like 15 and he was probably 30 or close to 30 okay and i just remember like him kind of like seeing seeing me and then like us kind of connecting somehow i don't know it was super random because like the the bills were so mixed in our town (laughs) because there just wasn't other bands there Mm -hmm. so it's like if there would be like a bigger headliner but then there'd be like a metal band and a punk band and maybe a hardcore band yeah, but like I didn't get exposed to hardcore until probably like my sophomore year of high school. Well, yeah, uh, like, it's like kind of like you you have to catch all because there's not enough to be picky about it. Yeah, type thing. So it was like uh, going into high school, I was like, I was still super into new metal and I was still super into punk, but then there was like like this other genre that was like both of them mixed together. And I'm <laughs> yep. like, I was like, I thought I, I thought I had everything I needed, but what, what the fuck is this? Cause this is, <laughs> this is the thing that I need. So this was probably like 2000, uh, 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. So it was like right when, um, orange County hardcore was like really popping off bands, like bleeding through and throw down and, 18 visions and uh uh avenge sevenfold had yeah. just like put out uh their like first record so like that sound was like exploding at that time especially in california and i remember um i when i was listening to metal music i had bought hatebreed perseverance and that was like i didn't know what hardcore was so that was just like a really sick metal record and then when i started listening to hardcore music 
I find out that they're they're a hardcore band, and then I'm like, what? Like it just kind of like open expanded my whole mind. So you can say that like Hatebreed was the my opening to all of hardcore music because I remember seeing the music video for I Will Be Heard, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you remember that music video, but it's like in a in like a crazy like industrial like warehouse with like a big stage, and people are just like hitting their asses off and i'm like this is so crazy yeah no that's, i it, have to be at one of these shows it, it, it and it's like amazing like that uh, hatebreed especially at that moment that's like the biggest moment any hardcore band has ever had like that's the the most on the map hardcore has ever been yep and it's it's nuts and even like even the fact that like afi was kind of like winning awards at that moment be you know, and they have videos yeah, where they, like, well, they just come out with like, sing the song was around that that time. Yeah, so they were like, they were pretty far removed from hardcore at that point. But didn't they have like a video for that record with like super hard pitting? Yeah, uh, the leaving song part two. Yeah, and the and, story- yeah, there was, there was just like kids like pitting super hard, but to like not a super hard song. Yeah, the story was that they played Hatebreed. For the kids <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the shoot and got them to pit for the Hatebreed stuff and then just sunk it up to the video. But, like, the fact that you had Hatebreed happening and that video was getting, like, some airplay and then AFI's winning awards with their video and there's, like, super hard pitting. It's like, oh, that's like when hard moshing was at its peak in popularity, mainstream-wise, yeah. I guess. Well, uh, and MTV2 is what, like, I, I remember watching it all on. Yeah, and, and uh, I think it was Fuse. Like they would sometimes run like different, like lower bands, like Hatebreed and stuff like that. Yep. And I, and I would just like wait for them to like play something like that. And and I don't remember what year Jamie Johnson started headlining uh, Headbangers Ball, but it was it was some time when I was in high school, and and then remembering like, oh, this is this is the guy. Like, I love your band. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like they they were, and I guess still are, right? But like they, they're definitely the band that like it, it's the the band. They were the band, and I mean, I would say that they're probably the 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 biggest hardcore band of all time. Yeah, like that's what like you know I'm trying to think of like who would be bigger, you know, like unless you could make some sort of crazy argument for Metallica because of some septic wow. death shared membership. But like, you know, like there's no, there's no one that even comes. Well, I guess, yeah, there's no one that really comes close to Hatebreed. Like, I don't think there's any, any other platinum selling records, like, unless it's been something that sold platinum eventually. Like I'm sure at this point, start today is almost a platinum record. Yeah. Cause I mean, like, like Roadrunner tried to like expose or get more exposure to hardcore or like in the nineties with like Life of Agony mm-hmm. and Madball and stuff like that. But that didn't really take off like they wanted to i think it it took that really metallic sound of of hatebreed's uh, appeal to a wider audience yeah no definitely and like it's i remember i uh, like i like no, obviously i didn't see hatebreed when that first seven inch came in through they, they did come through toronto so i did see them actually pretty close to that they came through with the Voorhees, but like it seemed like they were huge right from like that victory record as soon as they signed a victory they were like the band and it kind of stayed that way to this day like where they're like as you say the biggest band in hardcore well S- satisfaction came out in what like 90 nine 
Oh, 95? Is that earlier? Oh, that was oh, like is it, later. Is it 99? Uh, I think it's 99 because I think Under the Knife is 95. Okay. Maybe it's 98 so then, or something. But anyway, yeah, sometime then. Late 90s. We'll I, just say late I 90s. I just remember people, like, because that record is, is, in my personal opinion, that's like my age of quarrel. Like, that's a masterpiece. Yeah. And, and I think it's it's like an untouchable record, and every song on it is perfect. And then I, I just remember, uh, like, talking with people, the anticipation of Perseverance was, like, so big that, like, once it finally came out, it just exploded. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing is they, they it was such a long wait. And normally that would, I guess, kill hype for a band. But I guess because they were playing live and it was just kind of building. But yeah, I mean, if you're a hardcore band, you're not putting a record out like every two years. You might as well be dead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially now. <laughs> yeah. Now it, it moves even faster. Yeah, it moves way faster. If you're not putting one out every six months, you're in trouble. And <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, no, it's certainly, it's like, it, it's weird to think about, uh, that period of time and how many copies of records bands were selling. Like, you know, like they were selling like hundreds of thousands of copies of stuff. And like, you know, obviously there's some dispute about where the money went, but that the fact that that like records could bring in that much money, it's like, wow, it was a, uh, a very exciting time to be, uh, in uh, in ownership of victory records i could imagine yeah i mean like tony victory is definitely like a humongous piece of shit but yeah he, he put he put out some incredible <laughs> records that's for sure yeah that's the thing it's like you can be really good at one thing in as a human being like just one thing you don't have to be a good person but as long as you can uh you know per- find those albums that hit you know like people will uh reward you yeah unfortunately I- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unfortunately, Unfortunately. I, I, I like to, I like to argue that that um, the late '90s uh, Victory catalog, or even the Victory catalog in general, is better than the uh, than the Rev catalog. You are I, talking I'm, my language, my friend. That is 100 an argument that I've had. People call me completely insane. So no, you're <laughs> on the right podcast. This is the only place that this this is the place where Pepsi is better than Coke. And Victory is has a stronger catalog than Revelation has a stronger catalog. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with with the Pepsi Coke debate. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely a Coke guy, but hey, I'll drink Cherry Pepsi. Cherry Pepsi's tight. Okay, well, I, as long as we can agree on the Victory Rev thing, no, I like I love Rev, and I certainly think there are records I love more on Revelation than records I love on Victory. But like, yeah, Victory and like the. The diversity of styles that was on that label, it's it's kind of nuts. It's insane. Um, and, and it's, yeah, like, and I, I would, I even go deeper. I'll, I'll say that Victory 1 to 10, I've said before, is better than Rev 1 to 10. And then I've been proven wrong in debates with people about it. But <laughs> I, for the purpose of this episode, once again, Victory 1 to 10 is better than Rev hey, 1 to 10. Yeah, you're 100% correct. Anybody else can. <laughs> shove it up their ass yeah exactly all right so uh where did you kind of go was was your first ever show that gutter mouth show or did you see something locally before that gutter mouth show uh that was probably like like my first like show that i remember seeing uh i'm sure i maybe i went to like a, a local punk show but that was like the the moment that i was like this is this is nuts like there was a lot of crust punk kids in my town so there was like you know, big mohawks and leather jackets and patches. And I'm just like, this is crazy. <laughs> this is awesome. And, uh, 
that kind of like that was like, well, this is what I'm doing now. Did they have like another band open for them, or were they just kind of like it was just like a local band type thing? Or I don't remember. I I remember like growing like when around that area or around that time that like uh, lower cr- lower class brats always played. Yeah, and like clip 45 played like all the time (laughs) i feel like they played like every other week that band to me is like a band that i only know from maximum rock and roll ads (laughs) (laughs) like seeing their their cover art for their album being like how is this in maximum rock and roll this is really nuts i remember uh lars frederickson and the bastards played once and that was really cool yeah well i guess like no, he guess they're, they're he's from much further south, but like uh, they did they do like a lot of touring? I'm trying to they played Toronto a few times, I know. Uh, I don't think so. I I honestly don't remember. I just remember yeah. them playing. Um so kind of like I guess, you know, you you heard about this hardcore stuff and there's like one local band. Is there any bands like I guess are those southern Orange County bands coming through all the time at that point or or do I have the, to travel to see them? The first the, well, because I was like 16 or 17, so like my parents wouldn't really let me. I didn't yeah. even have a car yet. Yeah. And then once I did have a car, they were like, you're not allowed to leave the town, which I started doing. But <laughs> like I, I respected them until I was like almost 18. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the first big like hardcore-ish band that came through was right when uh, Waking the Fallen came out from Avenged Sevenfold. They played, and it was like, Everything we had seen in like videos on the internet, we would like try to like almost emulate. So it was like everyone, in, everyone in the crowd like had a black hoodie on with like a black bandana around their face, and we were just beating the shit out of each other. Wow! Like so, Avenged Sevenfold was like that band for like a moment, right? Oh yeah, they were enormous. But like, it was like uh, like with a hardcore kind of audience, or like were they? At least, like, at least in our town, it yeah. was. I don't know if that was if it was like widespread, but like it was the first band that had like any type of hardcore ties to it that it, that was bigger and played our town. Okay, um, yeah, like I guess like uh, I don't know. I like obviously I know them as that band that kind of was for a moment the next Guns and Roses type thing, but you know, I, I I totally missed out on them having that moment where it was like hard pits for them. Dude, there's that that those first two records have some hard pits. They got some really hard stuff. <laughs> they were they were on hopeless, right? For those first records. Yeah, it's like so. That's another label where it's like, wow, they put out some really diverse sounding records. And then uh, and then after that, I remember a tray you played, and that was a kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the band that like I feel like changed a lot for me was Throwdown. Okay. So Throwdown played and like I I pretty much credit Throwdown for like becoming straight edge because that was like the craziest, like most like aggressive, but like straight to your straight to your face, like hardcore that I had experienced at that point. Mm -hmm. So it it was kind of like no bullshit. It wasn't like a bunch of like, you know, double bass, like metal sound, but it was just like raw, like aggression and, just kind of spoke my language i guess and the videos i've seen from their shows look fucking ridiculous back then yeah i mean that that was around the time where they had like the, the throwdown dance teams and stuff yeah. like that yeah. like, <laughs> like showcase was like the most insane place to be 
Yeah, like we toured, like I, I wrote it for the Swarm when they toured with, uh, what was the what was the band that came that was like the same, a lot of the same people that was kind of like, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name now, but they were like a lot more like sort of snap casey. Well, Bleeding Through, 18 Visions, and Throw Down all like shared members. It was like another band that was like another band from Orange County that was like maybe just before those bands. Mm-hmm. And it's also like dudes that went on to be in Death by Stereo. Oh, I, I can't I don't believe know. I'm like, I'll Death fix this in the intro. Was another band that was kind of like hardcore fringe in, in in my town. Yeah, like they they you know it's and I think it's the same guy that was in all those bands in the very Probably. beginning. Um, like the guy that would like was a singer of Throwdown for a minute, and then he became the guitar player when he blew out his voice. Uh, Keith. Keith, Keith, yeah, Barney or Buck Keith Barney, yeah, that How dude was in like Death by Stereo in the very beginning when they first formed. He was in like all these bands, and now I'm like totally blanking on what their first band was called. But uh, anyway, I was on tour with them, Adamantium. That's what they were called. Oh yeah, Adamantium was like that was the band to see in Orange County at that time. Yeah, like we uh, when I was rooting for the Swarm, they were on tour with Adamantium for like a week of shows. And he kind of mentioned he was doing this band Throwdown. I think they had maybe their first thing had come out, like that demo seven inch thing. Uh, but like they got huge. Yeah, they they were they were definitely big for a while, and then Throwdown got enormous. Yeah, they they were like in Hot Topic, and like this was before Hot Topic had anything hardcore, <coughs> and. Uh, they, I think they really opened the door for for a lot of uh, of hardcore bands to, to kind of get more exposure. Mm-hmm. And that was like a time where there was a lot of weird uh, packages. Like I remember seeing like uh, Throwdown and Unearth play together, and there was just like different sounds, which was cool because it was like in the early two thousands, all these bands played together, but they all had like the same message i guess like everyone was just cool with each other it's like now there's like you know you either listen to like beat down hardcore or regular hardcore or you know demo core whatever like you listen to you have to only (laughs) listen to that but back then it was like you just listen to hardcore and that's just all it was yeah no it's definitely so specialized now compared to that it's stupid yeah yeah no it's really it it, Uh, it is weird but like that's the thing is because you've got tastes that go so deep and like you're all over the map with your taste in music, like just from like stuff we've talked about. Uh, so where was like, where did that kind of influence on you come from? Like, you know, like where were you hearing about like the Japanese stuff that you know about and like that kind of punk and, and the older stuff too? Uh, the, I mean like Japanese punk that I didn't really find out about that until probably the last few years. Like my, uh, my friend Taylor plays drums and nails and yeah. he also plays guitar in, in Twitching Tongues. And he's like, him and his brother are like two of my best friends. And they've been my friend for 10 plus years. And uh, he's always been like the the music guy that like he finds the most like obscure, like weird bands. <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, if you like this band, they were influenced by this band, but like you can't find that shit anywhere. So here, listen to this. And you're like, where do you find this stuff? But like, yeah, he's the one that like introduced me to 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 bands like Deathside and and Slang and uh, 
Warhead and stuff like that. So that was that was my uh, introduction to to Japanese punk. It was kind of like the cheater way. Like he basically said, "Here's all the perfect bands, and you don't have to <laughs> deal with any of the bullshit." Yeah, but you've played and like met like a lot of these bands legit now. Played with these bands and met a lot of these bands legit now. So. You know, like uh, I think you know. Regardless of the way you got into it, you're you're living it now. Like there's a picture yeah, of you mean, and the lead singer clown that I've seen. So <laughs> that that was, yeah, that was insane. Uh, I think that was in Nagoya, and and Sean Martin plays in Twitching Tongues, and he was the guitar player of of Haybreed for a lot of years, mm-hmm. which is a crazy story to begin with because it was like uh, Taylor and Colin are both from Connecticut. So growing up like in Connecticut and liking hardcore, Haybreed is like God. And then now the guy that was playing guitar for them is now playing guitar in their band. And that was like basically my introduction to hardcore music. So we're just like nerding out over Sean, <laughs> like to him. But then he's like also nerding out over Haybreed. Like, <laughs> so that was that was an awesome tour because that was the first time that we got to really hang out together. Yeah. And uh, we were in Nagoya and, and Sean's like, hey, I want to introduce you to one of my friends. And it was the singer of, of clown and he he was like oh yeah he's a, he's a, a hell's angel and i was like what like yeah this is insane and he like the dude was he was just like standing the our whole set he was just standing in the middle of the pit smoking cigarettes and headbanging and like nobody went near him yeah that dude is hard on like a different level dude it was insane and then he's and then like he's like i want to take a picture like and then I was like, oh, okay. And so, like, me and Sean are, like, about to, like, post for his picture. He's like, no, take your shirts off. And, like, we all take our shirts off because we're all, like, super heavily tattooed. And he's got, like, this full, crazy, like, Japanese bodysuit. And then came the picture that, that I showed you the other day. <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's that band. It's funny. They were playing in Japan this week. They're playing in Japan. Like, so it was just after I left. And I was like, damn, like. That's the one that got away. That's a band that I can't imagine is going to be coming over doing a North American tour anytime soon. So yeah, and then, gotta... and then when we played in Osaka, we got to play with Warhead, and that was sick because there was just these like, you know, it, these dudes in their fifties that have these crazy bright <laughs> mohawks and they're like studded jackets and like they're living they're living the life. Yeah, for, especially in forever. Japan, like that's like a commitment in that city or in that oh, country, yeah. I should say. Because they look at they look at you crazy if you have tattoos. And yeah. These dudes are like fully tattooed, giant mohawks. Like they look awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, it's but, it's uh, like the- they were super cool, and they I don't know they put on one of the coolest shows I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> most of the crowd was definitely there to see Warhead, <laughs> which uh, we had to play after them, which was kind of weird because everyone <laughs> knew Warhead, they did not know us, but. It was still a really cool experience. Yeah, like I saw Gauze recently, and they played first on the on the bill, and so Which is like one of the most legendary punk bands of all time. Yeah, and it's like it's I guess it's like a Japanese thing where you know they're gonna make the the band that's like the the local heroes play first, and then the poor touring band has to go on after them. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. Uh, it's it's also like insane when you go, like get into Japanese punk and hardcore, and you realize like how interconnected it is weirdly with Japanese pro wrestling. Dude, I was just going to talk about this. So 
We played a show. I forgot what the town was called, but it was like it was a it was above a record store, and this band Slapdown was playing. I don't know if you've heard Slapdown. No Slapdown. But they're like this like uh, beatdown Japanese beatdown band, and they're they were giving me stickers before the show. They were headlining. Yeah, and we're like. We're like, who's Slapdown? And have you ever met uh, Daiki? He runs Alliance Tracks Records. No, I don't think so. I know the okay, label. So he, he he's the one that like brought us over, and he like toured with us. But he uh, he was like, oh no, trust me, like just have them headline because this was like the only show that uh, Twitching Tongues wasn't headlining. Mm-hmm. And uh, God, because it, it was usually God, oh, it was uh, God's Hate Palm Twitching Tongues, and this was the only one that like someone was playing over Twitching Tongues. He's like, trust me, just like have them play, and we're like, uh, okay. And their logo was like the the WWE SmackDown logo, okay. But it said, but it said Slapdown, and when they played, the whole place just went insane. <laughs> and like at one point, the the bass player just like throws his bass down, and he just starts pinning as hard as he can. And I'm just like, what is <laughs> fucking happening right now? There's like people jumping all over the place. I'm like, this is so cool. That's awesome. No, it's like, it's it's funny because, like, you know, I heard stories about Kojima's brother's band, Tetsuari, playing and how he would, like, legit powerbomb fans onto the stage. Oh, my God. Like, just, like, grab people and and gut-wrench powerbomb them as they, like, have no idea what's happening onto That's the stage. That's so awesome. Yeah, like, it, it, it feels like there's, like, and also like the name burning spirits is taken from that bruiser Brody quote or sorry, Anoki bruiser Brody's quote about Antonio Anoki, where he talked about how uh, Anoki had a burning spirit in his eye. Just like going up the escalator to the bookstore. There's just like a sign, a giant sign poster of Stan Hansen. I'm like, what the hell? (laughs) And then there's this like all these crazy, like Japanese uh, wrestling publications and uh, subtle hints of, of wrestling everywhere in Japan. Yeah, and it's like it's it's definitely taken like in a like there's just like so many levels of fandom there and there's so many people that are just fans of one type of wrestling and nothing else and it's you're like, "Oh wow, this is huge here." Like it's probably bigger there than anywhere else in the world. It's just because people play it a little bit closer to the chest than they do in North America. And it, yeah, it's way more well respected there. Yeah. Like it's not a joke at all. No, no, definitely. And it's like Which I I I love. Yeah. No, it's it's I I think like it's you know, if Japan like, you know, Mexico's the spiritual home of wrestling, Japan is its burning heart. It's like the the yeah, place where wrestling is just on another level. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, North America just we're just kind of there. Well, it just, it just feels like also North America you know, it's it's like the dominant voice in professional wrestling is obviously the WWE, and so many people like just have that as their, I guess, view of what wrestling is. Where in Japan, I think there's just like a, a greater understanding of the history of the of the art form. Yeah, like uh, North America is Green Day, and uh, <laughs> Japan is Black Flag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you know, I, I you know, you, 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 maybe on the uh, 
on unfortunately the uh, the perception of most people. But I think there's a lot of black flag. Trust me, you're proving it right now. I saw you versus Shane Strickland. No, it feels like there's an energy around wrestling that I don't know. Like we've talked about it a little bit too, but it feels like music in like or rock and roll at least just before Nirvana broke or or film before Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction and 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 Clerks and all those types of movies. Did for Defy like that feels like you're in a like in a hardcore show. Like yeah. the the atmosphere, the fans, like it. There's no difference between playing a sold out show with God Tate or me being in that ring, which is like the coolest feeling in the world. Really, I was going to ask, like, because you're you know you're one of the few people that's done both in like a legitimate way. Like, what what does like is it is it the same high like when you're on stage, you know, and everything goes well at a show. And then, you know, when you're at a show and like in the main event, like the other day, I feel like that, I feel like it's almost, it's definitely more rewarding because when you're wrestling, it's just like, that's, it's just you. Yeah. Like if you fuck up, everybody knows, but it's like, if you're playing in a band and you fuck up, like everyone else can kind of cover up for you. Like, unless you really botch it bad, then it's like, no one's really going to know. Because there's definitely been times, and I'm sure this has happened to you too, where you're singing and you just forget the words to your own song. And you're like, um, yep, I don't got it right now. Dude, you're exposing <laughs> our business now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you ever see me like hand out the microphone for an extended amount of time, I have no idea what, what we're doing. No, this is, it's amazing sometimes where you're in a song you've played, you know, thousands of times. And, you wrote the fucking song. Yeah, and you get lost. You're like, how did I get, like, how have I not memorized this by muscle memory <laughs> at this point? Yeah, it's like I could probably, you know, sing any other band song word for word, yeah. and then mine comes on. I'm like, uh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. Yeah, and I imagine, like, in wrestling, like, if you, if you like, you know, lose that focus, lose that concentration even for a second, like, that, that's your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, so, you, and, and somebody else's life, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's like people's lives at stake in a way that, you know, fortunately, as lead singers in bands, we don't have to worry about. Oh, sometimes. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's not on our accord, but like when some when some fan does a really shitty stage dive and lands straight on their head, you're like, well, yeah, that was kind of my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But still, like, uh, I don't know. I think. I think in the ring, I imagine when that happens, it's more of a, you know, a direct responsibility of the person in the ring than, you know, us as singers, like, you know, it's not our fault that we just brought the mosh too hard to the people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, how did you kind of, you know, there's obviously two ways we can go right here because both are really interesting to me, but how did you get into playing music? And was it kind of the same time you're kind of getting into to wrestling in like a more wanting to get behind the scenes of it. I feel like when you're into punk music's not as difficult, at least at first. And it's just kind of a natural progression. You d you just have a couple friends that have a guitar and a drum set. And then you're just like, all right, well, let's just start fucking around until we come up with something. But like wrestling, it's like, I've been a fan since I was like three years old, jumping off the couch onto my dad, 16, 17, mm -hmm. It was that's when I was like in the beginning stages of, of, you know, little bands that never went anywhere. We didn't even play it for a show. 
like my first real band. It was this band called Sleepwalkers. And uh, it was a bunch of friends that I had when I moved out of um, Palmdale, Lancaster. I had moved to this town called uh, Santa Clarita, which was about 15 miles from the valley, which is like the hot spot for hardcore shows at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had started a, a band and, and started playing local shows and did a couple smaller tours. And then we broke up. But that was like my first exposure to really like touring and playing in bands and doing it like trying to do the real thing. What what did that band sound like? Uh, I don't like we didn't really sound like like any band specifically. Like we were just kind of just a faster. Uh, I don't know. It was just like a faster hardcore band. It wasn't very, very good in my opinion. It wasn't good at all. Do you guys put out records? Like, what label were you guys on? We we put out uh, like two cassettes, and then they kicked me out of the band. They were like <laughs> my best friends. Oh fuck! But it was it was completely justified the reason that they did it. But uh, then they like put out a seven inch on six one three one records, and then okay. they kind of fizzled out after that. But then um, when uh, when I was like. Let's see, how long have we been a band now? Um, four or five years. I started God's Hate with Colin, who plays in uh, Twitching Tongues. Yeah. And we, we'd been friends for years, and we'd always talked about starting like a heavy band. And basically he was like, hey, so you, know, you don't have that band anymore. We got some downtime with Twitching Tongues. You want to start writing this record? I was like, yeah. So then we, we wrote a set. <clears throat> he wrote all the music for the 7-inch. I wrote the lyrics, and then we recorded it all and kind of put a band together. And then we had our first show, and it was it was sick, and that's the band that we have now. So that's that's great. So this was like, you know, like your other band recorded, but just demos? Yeah, we had like a, a, we had a demo, and then we had like a three-song cassette EP. And then we were going to put out a 7-inch, and then they kicked me out like assholes. Okay. What, what what was the reason? Uh, basically, like I had a, a really shitty ex girlfriend, yeah. and I was like dealing with that breakup, and then being an asshole to all of them on tour. Okay. And then so after th- that, they they basically hit me with the, uh, "Hey man, we still want to be your friend. We just don't want to be in a band with you." And I'm like, oh. oh, okay, that's fair. <laughs> Were you the singer? Yeah. Oh, that's even oh, that's even a harder blow. Yeah. It, so. If they it kicked was, me out of being in a band for being an asshole as a singer, I would not be in a band. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I wasn't like a singer. I wasn't an asshole to everybody else. It was just an asshole to them. Yeah. No, I know exactly what it is. Trust me. I'm, I would be kicked out of fucked up in a second if they did that. They got wise <laughs> to being able to kick out the singer. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So then I, we started God's Hate and that kind of like took off right away. Like, um, our good friend Justin, who owns Close Casket Activities, put out the seven inch, and uh, we got to do a couple cool tours, like starting off, and then we recorded an LP. Uh, la- it came out last February. Yeah, and um, we've done a couple really sick tours off of that. Like we've never been a full time band. That was never the intention to begin with, because Twitching Tongues was always the full-time thing that was Colin and Taylor's like baby. So they kind of always focused on that. 
Mm-hmm. But and and around the same time that God's Hate started is when I started wrestling. So it was like I kind of went that way, and they just kind of like kept with that. But we were still able to do you know a week or two week long tours. Like um, last year, we went on a week long tour with nails that was awesome mm-hmm. and uh this year we went on like a two-way tour with terror that was like a dream come true because terror is my favorite hardcore band ever yeah and, and and like i cannot think of a more fun collection of people to tour with personality wise like just like some of the wildest personalities i know yeah i mean you, you know <laughs> first of all, you're, you're close friends with, with Jordan and, and obviously yeah. know all the rest of the members of Terror. Yeah, they we toured are, with uh, them one time, I think we did. Oh, no, we toured with them like three times, I think, ultimately, because um, we did a, a bunch of stuff in Australia with them, too. But, they uh, are a traveling comedy act. Oh, my God. Yeah, like Scott and Jordan, like that's a buddy comedy that has yet to be filmed, but it one day. It has to happen. It has to happen. Like the odd because couple for our generation. They will both talk about how much they hate each other. Yes. And then. And then immediately, like, be going to, like, drink, get drinks together. Yeah. Like, what are you guys doing? Uh, it's awesome. It's, like, and also, like, you know, that, like, Buried Alive was that band for us in Toronto. Like, you know, the same way we were talking about Corn or Hatebreed being that band for different cities. Like, for us, like, post, like, Chokehold had already broken up. So, for us, that band was Buried Alive. And so for Jordan to be in a band now with Scott Vogel is awesome. And for That's it to be so as cool. funny as it is, it's even better. <laughs> <laughs> that makes it so much better. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like Jordan also, like I remember Jordan, like with that first buried alive shirt, you know, in demo era pinning for buried alive. So, and here he is in terror all these years later. It's funny. Uh, my friend, Andy Williams, he plays uh, guitar in um, every time I die. Yeah. Sure you know him. Yeah, um, I, I don't know, know him, but like I definitely remember him back in the day as Buried Alive's incredibly violent, hard mosher. <laughs> exactly. So he's been like recently. He's been like sending us a lot of pictures from like the that the Buried Alive era of of Buffalo hardcore. Yeah, and like they're just so funny to see like a young Scott Vogel and like a young Andy Williams. Like Andy has one tattoo, and it's the. Uh, <laughs> the Marauder demo skull <laughs> on his arm. And you're just like, that's like the, you should have stopped there. Cause you don't get a harder <laughs> tattoo than that. <laughs> yeah. The t- that's like, that's how you know you're from Tuffalo when you got a Marauder tattoo. <laughs> exactly. Oh, so, uh, yeah, I, he's told me how, how, uh, uh, buried alive was like the hardest band in the world. Oh yeah. They were like amazing. And like, it's funny now. Cause he's, I guess he's wrestling a lot more, right? Like he's obviously been a wrestler for a few years, but he's like, it seems like I'm seeing his name on flyers or hearing his name on shows a lot more these days. Yeah. And, uh, this year he, um, every year, every time I die puts on a Christmas show in Buffalo that like yeah. attracts all of Buff- Buffalo because apparently everybody knows who every time I die is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, They're that band but, for Buffalo now. Yeah, exactly. But uh, this year they're doing a, wrestling show slash hardcore show what so like, how did i not know a, about this there's there's a wrestling matinee it starts oh. at like uh noon i think like noon to four and then like it breaks for like an hour and then the bands start and it's like you know some local hardcore bands uh some bigger hardcore bands and then every time it i headlines 
Wow. But they sold 3,000 tickets and sold out this thing in like less than a week. <laughs> so they, they, the thought of like 3,000 people like being in Buffalo is crazy to me. And the fact that they all know who every time I die is, is even crazier. Uh, uh, so like when, when Andy had told me, he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you out for this Christmas wrestling show. I was like, fuck yeah. Because like, uh, wrestling has really like, made mine and Andy's friendship. Like I remember uh, a friend of mine's band was playing, they were on tour with them at the glass house and I had never met Andy before. And he just like came straight up to me. He's like, Hey man, how's wrestling going? I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm like, how do you even know that I'm a wrestler? (laughs) But like, he's like, he's just that dude that like, he's not awkward at all when it comes to meeting people. And he'll just like, get straight to the point and you're just like, well, I guess we're friends now. And, uh, he's become like a super good friend of mine. And he's like, you're going to come out to this, uh, wrestling show. And I was like, okay. And then when he announced it, he's like, well, we sold uh, a thousand tickets in 10 minutes. I was like, what? Like, this is insane. And then he, like two days later, he's like, oh, we're sold out at 3000 tickets. I'm like, holy shit. This thing is going to be incredible. Yeah. So like on that, it's like the main, I think is, uh, Braxton Sutter versus Sammy Callahan. And then uh, Andy's tag team is wrestling and OI4K is wrestling. So it's like a lot of hardcore kids and punk kids. Yeah, a bunch of hardcore, like music guys that are also wrestlers. It's super cool. Yeah, like it feels like, you know, obviously, uh, like, you know, from a fan's perspective, this has been an incredible breakout year for yourself, too. Like it, it, it just feels like there's a lot of, you know, hardcore people in wrestling, like actually as wrestlers now, as opposed to just fans. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's really awesome when you find out like, Oh, that guy's straight edge. Oh, yeah. that guy listens to hardcore music. And, you know, and, but like, it's weird though, because a lot of the dudes like Dave, Chris, for example, where he branched off into wrestling is where I branched off into music. Mm-hmm. So like, then we're both coming together at, at this point of our life. We're like, I've had this huge, you know, music knowledge slash like done that for the last 10 years, but he's been wrestling. So it's like, he'll, he'll be like, Hey, what are, what are some bands that I should listen to? And I'll just send him like a <laughs> list of bands. Yeah. And it's like trading off each other of, of our mutual love for both things. It's funny. Cause like, yeah, you're right. You have to choose almost for at a certain point. Like MVP talked about it when he was on the show, like he hit that point where he had to choose to become a wrestler and he couldn't go to shows in the same way because it required like so much dedication to become a wrestler that he just couldn't do both. Like, I guess, is that something you're finding now? Do you have to choose a lot more? Like, I'm all my weekends are dedicated to wrestling. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Like, you know. God's Hate has become like a, a fest band now because we don't really have time to do anything else. Yeah. Because like if I I have to to work to like provide for my family and my house and stuff like that, but it's like I also have to do that to provide for wrestling, which yeah. is now kind of like it's starting to provide for itself. But every weekend, it's like I have in my calendar like three months booked and people will be like, hey, do you want to play the show? I'm like, I can't. Like, well, when can we play? I'm like, I don't know. You got to tell me like six months in the head. Yeah. And they're like, that's insane. I'm like, well, sorry, man. But <laughs> they, I mean, 
it's it's cool. We find the balance, and and now we're just kind of like, well, let's just write a new record and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, it, it's it's been fun trying to trying to balance it all out. But uh, it it is it has affected me going to shows. Like I definitely I was the guy that was at every single show, like every show, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like never at shows, and it it kind of kills me because it's like I still obviously love hardcore music, but I just can't dedicate the time to it anymore yeah like and it, it really is you know you you gotta choose like there's only so many hours in a weekend or so many hours in a day and it's it's hard to maintain like i'm even finding you know with with kids and and job like going to shows and maintaining that kind of side of my life was impossible like it just yeah. really didn't happen for a long time like because i was you know, away all the time doing working. And yeah, now, now you got to be dad and you got to be in a band and be the host of a cool TV show. <laughs> well, believe me, that's the luck. That's where the luck comes in being the host of the cool <laughs> TV show. That is not work. That is the greatest scam I've ever pulled off. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but like, yeah, like I think, you know, that's why I've always found Robbie Brookside, you know, so fascinating. Cause much like yourself, he's someone that, you know, never like MVP made that choice. Dave obviously made that choice. Like you have to make that choice, but like you guys seem to have, you know, structured your lives in such a way that, you know, you want your cake and to eat it too. Dude. I can't wait for the day that I get to meet him. Like, yeah, he's he, like he, the old pictures of him in like life of agony. <laughs> I know. Jersey, and like, and now, like, he'll post pictures of him in, like, a Poison Idea shirt and, like, a Tear It Up t-shirt. And you're like, what, what, how deep does your knowledge go? Oh, it's And then, like, people so are like, oh, deep. dude, he has, like, every hardcore record ever. Yeah, it goes so, so deep. Like, he can go on bands that no one should have any right to be able to go on. Like. That's so sick. Yeah, and it's, it's just like, and especially now, because he's just, he's at the Performance Center and he's obviously, you know, has to work all the time. So when he's not working all the time, he's just into music again, full time. Oh, that's, that's so awesome. Yeah. He's it, awesome. I can't wait for you to meet him. It's, it's so weird. Like wrestling and, and, and music have so many similarities and so many, it's like pretty much the same thing. But the one thing that I hate about wrestling that I don't know about music is that if you are a wrestler, it is weird for you to go to wrestling shows that you're not booked on. Yeah. Like even as like a fan, it's like, that's like frowned upon. Yeah. When it's like in music, that's just what you do. Like you go support your friends' bands and you go moss to your friends' bands and, and have a good time. But it's like, if you're a wrestler and you go to a PWG show, they're like, what are you doing here, Mark? You're like, what? Like, <laughs> how does that make any sense? <laughs> well, I think it's like, I think it's the, the big, the only real, especially between hardcore and wrestling and punk and wrestling is you're encouraging the audience to one day get on the stage and do what you're doing in punk and hardcore. Like that's just part of the DNA of it. Whereas in wrestling, I think the idea that once you become a wrestler, you're no longer on the other side of the they want the, Yeah. They want that disconnect. Yeah. They want that disconnect. And like, it's almost like encouraged. It feels like, like this is coming from an outsider who's been lucky enough to be, around it a lot now but it's like it really does feel 
like like once again like it's part of the dna of wrestling that you you have to have that disconnect between the fan and the the wrestler it seems yeah i I guess i could see that i still wish that i could go see like really cool wrestling (laughs) (laughs) well i you know i think i think you're gonna get you know and from what I've seen, you've been booked on a lot of really cool wrestling shows and you're a really cool wrestler and will continue to be booked on cool is, wrestling that is, shows. That is true. I mean, I, I've been very fortunate in, uh, I mean, I worked my ass off, but I've been very fortunate yes. and it's starting to pay off of, uh, being on really cool shows with people that I was looking up to a couple of years ago. Well, I think like, it's, uh, it's awesome when I hear as a fan, like your name brought up on wrestling podcast whether it's like kevin sullivan talking about you or you know like mvp talking about wrestling you and stuff which by the way a turned out a punk dream match is coming up at mlw when you are going to wrestle mvp dude i can't wait for that that's going to be so cool because i I remember you were the one that told me about mvp being like a punk dude like i I had no idea and we were talking at pcw and then you're like oh yeah like MVP goes deep and then like we started talking and I'm like holy shit he knows like everything and he knows like current stuff too like he keeps up with it yeah like he's really like another guy that you know like you were saying about Dave like someone that had to choose at a certain point but never lost the love of it and someone who still like yeah has a real passion like he MVP like he says admittedly his dream now is to do a hardcore band like he's like I've done the Tokyo Dome I've done Mania now I want to play in a hardcore band. Which is like the opposite for us. We're like, what do you want to do that for, man? <laughs> yeah, like I think, well, I think for you it's 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 an achievable dream. For me, it's very much relegated to the land of dreams. Oh, come on. I could totally see Rush <laughs> Damien headline <laughs> Tokyo Dome. I think that like I think that'll be the uh if if New Japan wants their uh, David Arquette moment, I'm there to give it to them. <laughs> When I when I take all that history and lineage of that title and just throw it in the trash. <laughs> uh, when you were over there touring, did you go to any wrestling stuff? Uh, yeah, actually, when when we when I found out that we were going, my wife's dream has been to like go to Japan her whole life. So mm-hmm. I kind of made like a, a double trip out of it. We went like two weeks before I I was starting to tour. And uh, one of my trainers is Rocky Romero. Oh, yeah. And, he, and so he uh, helped me out in, like, training. Um, he, like, kind of – it was, like, friend of a friend. Like, oh, yeah, you can come to this dojo and train. So I was training with uh, this dude, and his name was Hayate, and he used to he used to wrestle for DDT. But he was just, like, this little old luchador that was, like, insanely good. <laughs> like – it was unreal how how good he was and like how old he was. Yeah, and he didn't speak English. I didn't speak Japanese, but we both spoke lucha. Yeah, so like we were able to communicate in that way, and that was a really cool experience because they always told us like you know wrestling is a universal language. Mm-hmm. Like if you know how to speak wrestling, you can talk to anybody, and that was when I really experienced that, and it was it was really cool, and so. I'm like, this guy was probably like five two, five three, <laughs> and I'm like six six. So it was like, and I'm doing like a lot of the same lucha stuff he is. And then at the end of it, he's just like, ah, oh, your lucha very good. And I'm like, thanks, man. Like <laughs> that was like one of the biggest compliments <laughs> I had ever gotten. 
this dude that was like flying around and he he's complimenting me. But uh, we also got to go to um, Rai Goku Hall and watch New Japan show, one of the pay-per-views. It was uh, when Naito first won the belt from uh, Okada. Okada. Wow, that's fucking awesome. Dude, that match was in well the whole card was insane and it was cool because like um rocky was able to get us in there and like we hung out with him like the night before and like the the night of or the night after yeah and they they won the the tag belts there too so it was like a really cool moment to watch like you know one of my trainers uh win like he he'd won it a million times Mm -hmm. i think he's like the, the the highest winning iwgp junior tag winner of all time but uh just to see that and experience that and like really have that be like this is what i want to do for the rest of my life type moment that's amazing that's awesome and and rocky is truly one of the nicest people i've ever met in my life in and anything. also and also like a punk kid a punk kid exactly like he's a uh, spoiler alert a future guest that uh, is coming on the show but uh it is, yeah, like, I think once again, it's like proof of the punk wrestling connection. The fact that, you know, here's your trainer and <laughs> you're getting to see him on your your tour with your band in Japan. Yeah, there's, there's a funny story uh, I think I told you about when I first started training with him. He was just like, oh, you're in a, you're in a band? What's it sound like? I was like, oh, it's a hardcore band. He's like, oh, hardcore, like H2O? <laughs> and I was just like, nah, not quite like H2O. <laughs> But just the fact that he even knew who H2O was, I was like, what? who are you? Yeah, no, he was like dropping Operation Ivy stuff to me. And I'm like, I never in my wildest dreams would have guessed that I'd be having this conversation with a member of Rapongi Vice. Yeah. And that's just how cool punk rock is, is that it, yeah. it latches on to everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, you know, and like, in like, you know, in New Japan, like Zack Sabre Jr., like I, when I saw him wrestle in Evolve, I'm looking at his shirt and I'm like, is your font the infest font? And he's like, yeah, that's where I took it from. I'm like, Dude, that's fucking nuts. Can we talk about uh, Takahashi's jacket? Yeah. That what? is the coolest thing ever. I like, and I'm, I'm wondering like, he's got to be a fan, right? Like it can't just be a fashion thing now. Like it goes so deep with what he's referencing. Yeah. It's not like it's like the clash and the sex pistol. Yeah. Like he's got like deep stuff he's got negative approach and like bad brains and like he that thing is is super cool well have you and you know daisuke sasaki and ddt like yeah he that dude wears the craziest most awesome japanese hardcore shirts like if you watch him in various matches he'll have like a disclosed shirt on or a swanky shirt or like a death side shirt on like that's so cool yeah like when i was over there i went to a death side show with him like well I didn't go with him. He happened to be at a death side show that I was at that we both said we were be at potentially because he's like very much uh, a member of damnation and, and can't be nice. Um, <laughs> and, and, That's how I feel about uh, the, the LIJ guys. It's like, yeah, you know, Nino has, he has to be rooted in punk somehow just he, because of the way like he acts. And like when I first saw him win the belt and he just threw the belt out of the ring, I was like, <laughs> That is the most punk thing I've ever seen in my life. That's like the most prestigious title yeah. in wrestling history, and you just hucked it out of the ring. No, you're right. Like, he's got to, you know, like with all those guys, like, you got to wonder, like, if you could ever get 
No, well, you probably could, but like, you know, if, if any interview, anyone's going to be able to get them to talk about music stuff, like just to get them to go on, like the kind of stuff they're into sonically. But then like June Kasai, who uses Coco Bat as his entrance music and, <laughs> you know, has like a history of doing shows with bands on it. Like, you know, he just did a show with Abigail and Napalm Death is Dead and like a bunch of like hardcore kind of metal type bands on it talking to him about music he's like i don't know music i just know wrestling <laughs> <laughs> that's so weird yeah it's like i'm like how did then how does all this random stuff happen but i guess it's like the fandom coming from the other side like these b- people are probably fans of him coming I just to him lo- i love that it's still it's still like a, a you know our little secret club like our secret language like you know for instance like we we look at you know Takahashi's jacket, and you know the misfit, the misfit skull. You're like, yeah, whatever. Like everyone has that, but then you see like the negative approach thing. And you're like, oh shit! Like he's he's for real. Yeah, he's or deep. like even like Ray Rowe, like he's got you know the stay true like three X or three, the eagle holding the X on his. He's chest. got a path of resistance tattoo on his chest. The yeah. first time I saw that on ROH TV, <laughs> I was like, who the what the fuck. <laughs> But like nobody else probably thought anything of it, but like people like us are like, dude, what? Who is this guy? Yeah, like, yeah, no, it's like you're like you're saying like wrestling's got a universal language where once you speak it, you can have conversations with people all over the world. I, I kind of feel like you know punk is similar in that way that like we all get those references. So yeah, like no matter who you are, once you're a punk kid or a hardcore kid, you'll be able to pick up on these like little little signposts all over the place. Yeah, and and you know when someone's just like doing it to do it, like if they got like a a Ramones yeah. T-shirt on or whatever, you're like, oh yeah. But then like they they drop that like deep knowledge stuff, and you're like, oh shit, like they're yeah. for real. Yeah, there's always something when they'll say something, and you just turn your head. You're like, oh okay, you're like that. All right, let's go. Let's yeah. get into this. <laughs> well, I dude, still, I still I still have yet to find anybody in in uh, wrestling that is as deep into hardcore as I am. Maybe I mean obviously like Andy, but Brookside. like even the wrestling Brookside. Oh yeah, Brookside. Yeah, um, like I really I feel wait. like you're like obviously, you know, you and yeah, like Andy too. But like you're like one of those like yeah, you're like in a legit hardcore band, and you're like a legit wrestler, like respected, completely separate from any sort of music. You're like you're kind of the Chris Jericho of hardcore. <laughs> I just want to be like I just want to be like. You know, if you if you think that Master Killer is like the greatest record ever written, then, <laughs> then you're speaking my language. Uh, no, it's like amazing. Like that's the thing. Like that that's like the uh, the the ultimate test. Like when you can get that uh, that reference to Marauder, you know, right off the bat, you know, you've got the, the, the it runs deep. Oh yeah, well that yeah that was like. Um, uh, everyone says like I have a life is pain tattoo like on the side of my leg. Yeah. And everyone like makes fun of it, but like that's kind of the test. If someone goes, <laughs> Oh dude, is that a Marauder tattoo? Like <laughs> it's uh then we, can, then we can be friends and that and that that'll be the the true like me finding my, my counterpart in wrestling. You gotta figure Kevin Gill must have sick Marauder stories. He he's got like I've talked he's got like vast knowledge of everything kevin is he's so interesting though because it's like 
he's also like a juggalo. Yeah. So it's it's so weird. It's like very him and Dave Christ are like the the hardcore punk juggalo connection. Somebody asked me once, like, what was one thing that like changed for you when you started wrestling? Like, what what was like a something that you thought negatively and now you don't? And honestly, it's like I hated juggalos and like thought that they were just like the scum of the earth. And then now I'm like, well, Willie Mac's a juggalo and Willie Mac's pretty awesome. Yeah. No, you're right. A hundred percent. No, wrestling a hundred percent changed my opinion of the entire uh, juggalo and juggalette nation. Like and now, now I just hope that one day I can wrestle on the gathering just to say I did it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream your band could play and then you could wrestle I'm like no no fuck that i don't want to play that i, I just want to <laughs> wrestle there yeah like could you imagine a worse experience than having to play the gathering yeah, of the juggalos like i want to go so badly to see the wrestling and just to experience it but like as someone who has to play music i can't imagine that would be a very fun gig well especially a genre like we play that yeah, nobody exactly. understands to begin with <laughs> I, I remember talking to Andrew WK one time after he did it and I'm like, what was it like? He's like, it was the most terrifying performance of my entire life. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like that was the first time I ever heard that guy be negative about anything ever. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But then everyone, yeah. Like once again, but it's like you said, everyone you talk to I, that's wrestled at it or anyone that's gone to see it as a wrestling fan is like, it's the greatest thing on earth. Yeah, I mean, it looks completely insane. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think uh, that's <laughs> all All hardcore kids just need to get into wrestling, and then we will completely unify the Juggalo hardcore nation. Yeah, I don't know if it needs to go that deep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the hardcore elitist kid in me, I'm like, nah, fuck that. <laughs> I do want to find out, like, though, I'm like, am obsessed by the connections between the two communities, because, like, Here's like a little pet theory that I have that no one shares, but, and it's, I granted probably not true, but you know, like ringworm, like the human furnace used to like paint up back in the day and go out like in kind of like clown, almost juggalo paint before the juggalos. What? Yeah. Like there's photos of like, of, uh, of ringworm playing and he's got like, it looks like ICP clown makeup on. I mean, they're from Cleveland. Yeah. Like, so I'm thinking no, there's no rules. No, but I'm, and I'm thinking maybe like those dudes saw this guy with face paint on and that's where they got it from. But that's just my own little pet theory about the Midwest of America and <laughs> the juggalo hardcore unity that p- could potentially theoretically exist. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> you're probably, you're probably right. Oh yeah. Well, let's see. I gotta, I gotta take this to Kevin Gill. Cause he, I think he's the only guy that would know the, the, the true, he's the only guy that can talk marauder and anything about insane clown posse other than homies uh it's a real way i I did i did meet uh uh, kevin gill's limit though when i would try to talk like deep new york hardcore like castle heights like beat down bands like (laughs) like billy club sandwich and and irate and terror ab and stuff like that he's just like i don't i don't know what that stuff is i wonder like because he was like he put out the new york hardcore documentary soundtrack album Huh. Was it SST Records or whatever it is? Yeah, Striving for Togetherness. Or no, was it Striving for Togetherness? S- yeah. ST. 
It's not SST. That's no, 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 no. That's like the punk label. Yeah, no. It's like I think it's striving for togetherness records. They were they reissued all the upfront records too. And they put out. Did they? They put out a uh, sick of it all record, didn't they? I I don't think he did. Maybe did he do a sick of it all record? I know he did like a lot of no redeeming social values records oh okay i know there's a lot of that stuff released on the label and i just know he's like a, he's a huge gorilla biscuits fan and a big sick of it all fan yeah no definitely he's like that's i think his era of of new york but like that's also like the wildest era of new york too i don't know man have you watched like like old videos of like billy club sandwich playing in like castle heights it, well like i've, I've like, seen everybody definitely- gets hurt Billy Club yeah. Sandwich, I like, like that. Bo- that's the cutter and like, world. yeah, like all that. Like, but that's like, that's like 90s, right? Yeah, like late 90s. Yeah, like that's, that's like, that's when Striving for Togetherness Records was putting out stuff. Like, he might have blocked it out because of like post traumatic stress disorder. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I just think about the bands in that New York hardcore documentary, and it's like all the scary people are in that. Like all the very, very terrifying uh, people from New York are in that documentary. I love, I love that. Like these people, they they've like made a reputation as just being like the hard pitters. But yeah. then there's guys like like Minus from Marauder is like notoriously a hard pitter slash like crazy front man. Yep. Yeah. Like no. it's like oh yeah, Minus would like have only his boxes on with like a giant afro just killing people. <laughs> <laughs> or like Sob from Marauder, there's the legendary photo of him just like doing a spin kick right into someone's face, like with <laughs> with with jeans, boots, and no and like a wife beater on, and he looks like the hardest person in the world. Yeah, there's a, like there's well, that's like where Carl the Mosher got you know like he became famous for being Carl the Mosher. It's it's like New York is like the place where hardcore became about being hard. Yeah, it's it's. And that's a, that's a, I feel like that's a thing that really does not translate anywhere else. Like people just don't get it, and they will always think that like hardcore dancing is stupid or whatever. But we all know that like that that's the, the coolest shit in the world. Oh, like there's like well, that's the reason people buy like a, a history book about New York hardcore. You know, like that's the reason yeah. that it's it's still like infamous and legendary to this day, and like why people still care about what Harley and JJ say to each other. The, one of the coolest experiences I've ever had was um, I used to live with Nick Jett yeah. from there. Yeah. And uh, he had his recording studio in the house, and he was recording Matt Henderson's new band that he was coming out with. Matt Henderson played in uh, Madball, Agnostic Front. And Blind Approach. Yeah, <laughs> in Blind Approach. Uh, but he came over one day and we were just like sitting on the couch shooting the shit. And he was just like dropping knowledge. And he's like, yeah, man, like the, what, the reason I got into, into hardcore music, he's like, because I was from Minneapolis and he's like, and I came to New York to, um, see GBH and they played CBs and the opening band was Chromax. And he, he said that that like Chromax changed his life. That's that's and amazing, like, dude. That is like the coolest story I've ever heard anybody tell. Well, because it's funny because Craig Finn was on this podcast and he talked about being a Blind Approach fan as a kid and how one day they went from being all GBH punks 
to like New York hardcore punks like overnight. So that explains how that transformation that, happened. That's probably like that show. Probably did. could you imagine that? Yeah, like going to see GBH and like Cro-Mags opening. Yeah, no, that's definitely like it's. Well, I guess there was like that. that there's that tour where I think it was Wasp and Metallica. And every night, like people were like, "Oh, well, this is what we want, not this other thing." Like, yeah, it, it probably, you know, I think we've, I think, fucked up's actually been that band on the Wasp GBH side many a time, where we've taken a younger band out on tour and just been like, "Oh no, this band's like way more popular <laughs> than us." But I, I'm pretty sure you guys have been, you guys have been that band like before, where you were the band that was like, "Oh no, these guys are crazier," like. No, we've only ever opened for the arcade. We've only ever opened for the arcade fire and the Foo Fighters, and I really don't think any of their fans walked away (laughs) thinking too much about us. (laughs) The first time I saw Fucked Up play was the first Sound and Fury, or was it the first or the second? That was no. That was the. Was that the first? I think that was the first Sound and Fury that that year. Yeah, that was the first one. And And, trade and and uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who else headlined. Have Heart, I think, headlined. That, that's when like have heart like exploded yeah yeah they were like so fucking popular it was insane uh yeah I, that that whole era of hardcore was like it was weird like i liked them at the time but now i'm like there was just like n- no hard bands it was like it goes like it, it moves in such cycles right and it's so like dependent on whatever the 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 wind is blowing at the time but yeah like that moment was a moment of uh of amazing core and, and yeah, great. it was like half heart and ceremony and yeah. uh go it alone I, did ceremony like, no ceremony played the next year like this yeah year. but i mean like it was that 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 era yeah like, that era yeah yeah and shipwreck it was like metallic hardcore or uh not metallic melodic hardcore and mm-hmm. like and yeah it was just not really my cup of tea and mm-hmm. I, I was just like when does the marauder sound come back and then <laughs> violation started and i was like this band is sick yeah it's it's like i don't know it it, it's funny with sound and fury too because to me that sound is so much that fest but that fest like has outlived that sound like yeah you know and and mind you like ceremony like we're not playing the same sort of music we played back then either but like you know, ceremonies not playing that sort of stuff. Like all those other bands we talked about, I think are pretty much broken up now. Like I can't think of anyone that's, you know, obviously bands get back together, but I completely forgot that I'm spacing on the name right now. Who's the, who's like the no warning ripoff band? Oh yeah. What was it called? And there's that great video where the guy's like play a no warning cover. <laughs> uh, uh, guns up. What is it? Guns up. Guns up. Thank you. They were like enormous. And I, Huge. I just remember like, I liked them, and then I heard No Warning, and I was like, oh, this is obviously better, and, like, this is where the, like, they sound the same. Yeah, there were a lot of bands in that, in that time period that were, like, and I guess it was, like, you know, No Warning was a band that, when they were doing that sound, like, they didn't really tour that much, and it didn't really get popular till they were already kind of, like, that, you know, Suffer Survive era. Was, no was, Warning. uh... Was Guns Up like not allowed to play in Toronto? Was there like deep beef there? I, I don't like. I don't think. I'm pretty sure they probably did wind up playing Toronto, but like by that point, No Warning had moved on so much from the scene that I don't like. I don't think anyone would have noticed uh, from No Warning. Like I think those dudes are much more back involved now than at that point. Like even I think Jord was the only guy that was still like 
going to shows and Ben was kind of like, I don't think Ben was even in fucked up when guns up was around. So I remember hearing about it though, from those guys, like there's this band that sounds like us. And I'm like, yo, yeah, like a lot, like really a lot. They sound like yeah. you guys. It's like the singer tried to sound exactly yeah. like Ben. It was real weird. But mind you, I'm in a band where I tried to do that with DeWid, so I'm not in any position to cast disparagements on anyone. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, our, yeah. Gaffney yeah. tries to sound exactly like Hatebreed and, and Marauder mixed together. Yeah, like um, everyone everyone has their, their Ben Cook. It's just, for most of us, it's not Ben Cook. <laughs> oh, ben <laughs> Cook is great, though. No, just, yeah, like, believe me, I've got to spend a lot of time with him in a van, and he's, I think, like you know, one of my favorite singers of all time, like certainly I would put him in my top five local singers ever, you know, in influences on me as a, as a vocalist, but you know, you know, I, I, I try and hide it a little bit more in what no warning is also, is also that band that like broke up or whatever, went away for a long time, started playing shows and they were all awesome. They still sounded cool. And then they just put out that record. That is sick. Like, they're yeah, not, like they, they're like, not being that weird older band that's like, oh, we're gonna put out a new record and that record sucks, and you're like, oh shit. Like, and it, I like paints like, their whole legacy. Yeah, and I and I think it like and you know like obviously the other dudes, everyone wrote and did their stuff on that record, and like I'm friends with all those guys, but like I think that's you know that's definitely also a hundred percent Jord being like, there's no way I'm gonna fuck up what I'm doing. Yeah, he's still in touch. He's still in touch with hardcore. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like I think he would make sure that no matter what happened, he, he wasn't going to fuck up what he does. You know, like he's been that guy the whole time. And yeah, like it's, it's really awesome to see that they, you know, that they did that record and it's, and it's not a hundred percent them trying to do exactly what they did before. It's them trying to do something new, but not forgetting what made them the band they are. So yeah, it's like, you know, hopefully the Dinosaur Jr. thing. Like, Dinosaur Jr. to me is the ultimate classy band that got back together and all the records that they're putting out today are completely befitting of their catalog. Yeah, and there's just, there's some bands that get back together that I don't ever want to see again. Like, I don't, I love Judge. I have a Judge tattoo on my arm. I don't ever want to see a Judge show again. I, I, you know what? That makes me so jealous because I have yet to see him on this reunion thing. And I imagine if I saw them a lot of times, I'd be the exact same place you are. I but- saw them there for, I saw the first show at Webster hall. And that was like the most like magical hardcore moment. Yeah, of my life. That would have been for me. Like I'm jealous of that. Like that's one of those things that I will regret not being at. It, it was unreal. But then even the second night, it just, it already, it had already lost its, its spark. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I'm trying to think, like, I think the only time I've ever been blown away by a band that got back together was the Stooges. And I saw the Stooges live, and I was like, that is more powerful than it – I can't imagine being more powerful than it was that night. And, like, I talked to people that were there and that saw them on the original run, and they're like, it was the exact same energy. That's so cool. Yeah, but like, you know, any other band that I've seen like that, I've been like, I definitely saw a video that I have to say was probably better than this live experience that I had with this band. (laughs) But that's, you know, that's just the curse of YouTube, I guess. Yeah. I mean, 
<laughs> there's some bands that you just you see their the videos of them in their heyday and you just imagine like what it would be like now and then it, it happens and it's not the same yeah no one band like and i i would love to see inside out now i think that's the one band that if they did a reunion right now i'd probably go to it no matter what yeah because I, I feel like zach probably like he just hasn't lost yeah his edge yeah yeah like i think he'd probably give it like a thousand percent and it would be just as fiery as it was at that last reunion show in the nineties, as it was back in the day when that, you know, first single came out. That'll probably happen at like a black and blue bowl coming up or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, if it happened in a black and blue bowl, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, Brody, I could keep you talking all night. Cause I want to talk to you more about wrestling. I want to talk to you more about music, but, uh, can you come on and do a part two at some point in the future? I'll I'll come on for part sixty five. I don't good good because you know <laughs> at the pace we move on this thing, um, you know, and then hopefully we could do one in person because I have a feeling we're going to be running into each other at a few more wrestling events over the next year. I would I would love that, and I mean, like you said, we can talk about this for hours. Well, yeah, and also that dream match between you and MVP, I really do feel like at, for turned out a punk. This is our mania. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hope I hope we can deliver like it's your mania. Well, I hope that in some way you guys figure out references to hardcore bands in the match. <laughs> no, I will let you do what you do without trying to impose. Uh, but, dude, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Brody, for coming on the show. And you can find Brody on various forms of social media at Brody X King. He is someone that I strongly suggest you check out if you have the opportunity to see him sing or the opportunity to see him do a Hurricane Rana because he will impress you in both of those fields. I assure you, I am a fan of him in both of those. And as you can tell, he's someone that definitely needs to come back for multiple parts in the future and someone that hopefully one day will take part in the WrestlePunk crossover event that I hope to stage. But that's a distant plan. That is a, a distant, distant plan. Speaking of current plans, uh, future plans, well, just speaking of next week's show, next week on the show, Blake Schwarzenbach of the band Jawbreaker is on the show. That's right, Tristan, my brother, with uh, Adam from Jawbreaker, put this together, and uh, I'm forever indebted to him because this is the dream interview for me. Uh, we get to talk about a lot of cool stuff. We go into some uh, real awesome deep Jawbreaker history. We go into yeah, we go into we go we go deep. This is one that was uh, kind of a dream episode for me, so I'm super glad I finally get to do it and give it to you next week on the show. They're they're doing reunion shows right now. So maybe you got tickets, maybe you didn't. I don't know. They haven't announced a Toronto date yet. So I've yeah, yet to be able to see them, but you know, it it sounded promising. It sounded really promising that maybe that'll come. They were uh, in the midst of practicing when he was uh, calling me to do the interview. So that is next week on the show. Thank you everyone for listening to this and uh, thank you for everyone that supports the show. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, and go out there and make your own culture. I'll see you next week. Bye.